SAFM leading the conversation. Call Songhez or now 0891-104-207. We continue then the conversation. International Small Arms Destruction Day. We've had her before on the show. Director at Gunfree South Africa, Ms. Adele Kirsten. Thank you so much, Adele, for your time. Welcome. The SAP's Hi. 7th July destruction of 30,000 weapons, 913 handguns, 1,452 rifles. I mean, the amount of destructive weapons in civilian hands is quite concerning, isn't it? Well, it's good that they're out of circulation. Good evening, Zongeza, and hello to all your listeners. Can you hear me clearly? Perfectly. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'm just listening to your early interview around accountability and disrupting networks. Um, and I think there are two issues here. The one is it's really important that SAPS provides detailed information about what weapons are being destroyed. Uh, and I don't know if your listeners know, but that in fact about 30 days before a destruction, SAPS is required to make public, to gazette, the weapons that are going to be destroyed in the firearm parts. So that, um, say, if there's a collector or someone says it's a heritage weapon or that they don't want the weapon destroyed, there is sort of seen as administrative justice that someone can object to. We always make a submission uh, when we get the Gazette, um, just in, in terms of what we would see as good practice. Um, but I, I think this is one way it's a small way and it's not enough, but it's one way of holding the state to account um, to say you need to let us know what weapons are being destroyed. And in fact, one of the gaps there, and we all make this mistake, is there's no record of what ammunition uh, was destroyed. Let's have a conversation in terms of how the voluntary giving up of firearms and ammunition for those firearms operates in South Africa. Because when we talk about a gun-free South Africa, we also need to appreciate the fact that it needs not just the state's buy-in, but if anything, it needs Songhezo's buy-in to appreciate that South African society is safer without guns. And of course, I anticipate that the lobby group for Gun Owners Association will want to have a piece of their say in relation to this. We can anticipate it because the last time you and I had a conversation, they came out guns blazing. But you're not going to convince me that a society with more guns is safer than a society with less guns. And I think that's the point of departure that I have. How much of that appreciation is necessary for South Africans or for any society for that matter to engage and adopt as a way for perhaps the reimagination of a safe society, broadly speaking? I think it's critical. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if you saw SAPS's um, statement when, when they released the media release on the, on the destruction. But it's absolutely critical at a number of levels. One is that people who no longer want their weapons, and this is a voluntary surrender, so it's someone who for a range of reasons, often people when they have small children in the home decide it's, there are too many risks associated with having a gun. So it's a voluntary surrender. And there needs to be education and lobbying and awareness about the, at any moment, you don't need an amnesty, but any moment you can surrender your weapon. Um, but also the, the sense of what is it that makes us feel safe. And so communities 
beginning to organize, whether it's, you know, into street committees or uh, community safety forums, that we need to partner with SAPS, uh, with the police, in making our community safe. And I think that's where the big challenge is. The, the trust in the police is very low, and we've seen during COVID-19 uh, lockdown implementation around really abuse of force. Um, so that's a big job, and a lot of that's going to have to come from SAPS themselves. They need to demonstrate uh, that as communities we can trust them. Let's have a conversation about the authorities themselves who are part of the problem. Two words. Yeah. Lodewijk Prinsloo. <laughs> or Chris Prinsloo. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, he, he, I guess he's, his case is the most infamous and the most well-known. Um, but I guess it's also important because we began to understand how weapons leak uh, from uh, the legal to the illegal pool. Uh, and I guess the two key requirements, that when a government removes weapons or they voluntarily surrendered and they are responsible for managing them, and we call that stockpile management, there are two key norms. One is that the place where the weapons are secured has to be physically in a secure environment and the people uh, who are responsible for oversight over those weapons, um, you know, need checks and balances. Uh, so, so I think it's tempting to look at Prince and say it was one individual who saw an opportunity and took a chance. Um, but in a, in a way, that's an easy way out. It was that the system, in a, in a sense, failed him and failed all of us, and in particular failed the children on the Cape Flats. Uh, How did the system enough, fail Prince Lou? There weren't enough checks and balances on him. Uh, you know, it's an enormously powerful uh, and responsible position. And there are two checks and balances, I guess, that we, we would ask for. Is One is and globally, the research shows that when weapons are removed from the system and they are earmarked for destruction and they are sitting there for a long time, they are very much at risk of being pushed back out into the illegal market. Adele, so, are, are the people who have been failed not those who have fallen prey to guns that are illegally in circulation. Those are, in my view, the people who have been failed and failed perhaps by the lack of checks and balances in the system. But another person who has failed those victims is Chris Prinsloo. Chris Prinsloo was not failed. He was aiding and abating a vulnerable system for his personal gain. How, how can he have been failed and yet he was entrusted to do what the public required of him? He didn't. He profited illegally. Some 10 million yeah. rand on illegal guns. How was he failed? Yeah. No, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not making myself clear. Is I guess there's a temptation to say it's one individual rogue, rogue cop. It's a bad apple. What I'm trying to say is this is a systemic problem. Um, that the system is weak uh, and has risks in it which enables a princely to use the weaknesses. So I agree with you. It's not about, uh, I guess, what's more important is the system failed all of us. And as I said, in particular, 
those 89 children who were shot and killed with the guns that princely moved into the Western Cape. So you're absolutely right. Um, and and the, the issue is we need both. We need to ensure that the system is as tight as it can be. The nature of firearms is that there are always risks and there are always loopholes uh, for the illicit transfer of weapons. It's part of the nature of of the weapons trade. And you have to make sure that you reduce those risks. And one of the things to come back to this destruction is that you don't stockpile your weapons. When you've done all the necessary paperwork, you move them as fast as possible uh, to destruction. And we're certainly seeing a shift with that in SAPS because uh, last year they had two destructions. This is now the third one in the last 18 months. Uh, so that's good news. We're beginning to see a shift in 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 steps of implementation of of this requirement to destroy your weapons as soon as possible. Let's say we have a conversation with Mr. Hood, who will represent the gun owners, because we had a conversation with him last year after I had a chat with you, and he yes. predicates the reason why there is a problem with guns is not because the guns discharge themselves, but of the Prince Lewis of this world and the Songas or Mabekas of this world who are not responsible owners and carriers of firearms. What if that argument is put to you? And I don't think it's an altogether a dismissible argument that yes. guns don't kill people, people kill people. What would your response be to that? No, and I mean, we would support that assertion that it's people who pull the trigger, and which is precisely why you need strong gun laws, because basically, I guess the three key principles of a good gun law is that you regulate the owner, you regulate the type of weapon that someone can own, and you regulate the circumstances. And inherent in all three of those principles is the notion of limitation, of restriction. Uh, so, for mm. example, in South Africa, you have to be over the age of 21. You can't have a history of violent behavior. There's some, if you have an offense under the Domestic Violence Act. So the idea is to reduce the risk that someone who gets a firearm um, may abuse it. And then the issues of the type of weapons. So, for example, civilians can't own semi-automatic or fully automatic weapons in this country unless you have a, there's a special category for business. Um, and then, of course, uh, we're one of the few countries in the world that allow uh, um, license possession for self-defense. So, so the strict gun laws are there to make sure that you reduce the risk uh, for someone to abuse their gun. And it includes self-harm, you know. Um, we have high levels of suicide uh, in this country and, and, and having a gun made for But the other thing to say is that we also have a really important innovation in our law, which not many countries have, and that is that there's a provision for renewals. And it's, it's, it's in there because it recognizes that people's circumstances can change. So five years ago, you got a gun uh, and you ticked all the right boxes, but your circumstances alter. And so the state has the authority and, in fact, the responsibility and duty to determine whether you remain fit and proper. Um, so I guess the, the, the law is there to make sure um, that, that, that people are not at risk at harming themselves or others around them. 
but of course they, 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 we use the word advisedly, advisedly. It's about reducing the mm. risk um, rather than altogether. And, and that's why strong gun laws work and why they need it. Strong gun laws, something like New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern banned those semi-automatic weapons after the Christchurch massacre. Would you think South Africa should be in that kind of way, be as responsive towards guns and their related regulation in this country in 30 seconds? I mean, we, we certainly we need to look at the evidence. And right now, the evidence is that handguns are a problem. You'll see that from the number of destructions. And that's where we need to tighten up. Fantastic. Let's leave it there. Thank you then very much, Adele, for your time. We do anticipate that we will, like the last time, get a barrage of thoughts on this conversation, certainly on our social media platforms, at which point we would be more than open to engaging Gun Owners Association of South Africa in the light of the latest conversation you and I have had. It is a platform for the public to engage their thoughts. To you, for your time, it's time for news.